two weeks in a row we've had a guest. Yes. I feel <laughs> like we've made it. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you uh, start uh, start making a name for yourself. You get people showing up. I know. It's amazing. Also, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a guest next week, too, which I was like, oh, man, three weeks in a row. I don't know if I can handle that. Um, <laughs> the last guest we had on, though, uh, I, which I should have probably asked you this before we got on air, Matt. The last guy, he didn't tell us until we were right before we started that he only had 30 minutes. And I was like, how the hell are we going to talk to you then? Uh, so I'm assuming you have longer than 30 minutes. You have a beer in hand. Yeah, so. pretty much. Okay. I did have a brief topic I wanted to bring up. Spencer, I'll let you answer this first. Me first? Normally I'll let the guests go first, but I'll let you uh, answer this one first. Give, give him a minute to, to, to let, Yeah, let him ponder this one. So we're all writers here, or at least you say we are. Allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. That's what it says on the business card. We do have business yeah. cards. I don't. Mine are in a bucket somewhere. and <laughs> Kind of wet. I don't know why. So, Spencer, what writers have influenced your work? Um, or at least your writing style. Let's yeah. make it a little more general. To no one's surprise who's listened to an, an episode or two, uh, one of the main ones would have to be Stephen King. No way. You don't no say. way, right? <laughs> Not necessarily in the way of like, because I do try to do some horror stuff every once in a while, but more into like the weird can almost kind of make anything into a story. Like right. I really like how he can kind of do that. And I kind of like, that's kind of like the angles I always try to take on, on things. So you look at something stupid or ridiculous and go, how can I make that a story? Yeah. How can this thing be haunted and murder people? <laughs> Anything can murder if you just <laughs> imaginative enough. <Right? laughs> Second would just be, you know, this would be just a whole encompasses of just of uh, my, uh, my love for comics in general. Of again, of just kind of like the storytelling and the like the energy and and then stuff that you, that comes with that. I I try to incorporate that kind of stuff, like the pacings and things and stuff like that in, in my stories as well. Some of the fantastical mm -hmm. elements and, and stuff like that. Those are probably the, that's probably the main things that have actually affected my writing. Because like there's all like there's especially recently there's been a lot of suspense and like th thriller writers that I've been enjoying, but I haven't yet really done it. Like that hasn't really affected yeah. any of my actual work yet. I haven't really grown that muscle yet. Well, we'll discuss this in a minute. But when at least early in my writing journey here, uh, one of my main problems was that I would mimic or imitate the authors I was mm. reading. So when I'd read H.P. Lovecraft, all of a sudden I'm writing a lot of Lovecraftian stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But Matt, what what about you, sir? I'm going to be honest. I didn't know we'd started recording already. <laughs> so, oh. oh, crap. We started recording. I'm going to get my game face on. Well, um, here's one uh, bit of, uh, as we in the biz say, I don't know, we don't say yeah. anything. I can edit. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. if, if we have go. long periods of nonsense or you just need a minute, I cut that out so you don't have to worry. Even if you sound like an idiot, I will cut it so you don't – like Spencer Yo, sounds – buffoon. I mean, <laughs> he sounds like a moron regardless, but at least I make it so he sounds like he speaks English. Yes. So that hour of drunken ranting I did like just before, like just then, that's just been going to be cut, right? That's all, that's all gone from the – Yeah, that's, that's the gone. Room. You'll be all right. You don't have to worry about right. that. We're good to go. Oh, the slurs and everything. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, so many. What you were I saying about the so king? I mean, that was harsh. I mean, we're American, so we don't really judge. But yeah, well, I'm sure I they don't take kindly so to that. <laughs> like writers that have influenced me. I think I uh, my the first like books I properly got into were the Discworld novels by Terry Pratchett. They were like a huge influence on like because 
I, I really I loved the uh, the point and click adventure games. So like I moved on to the books was a natural progression, and yeah, just just love those. Just love the the way that he wove in. I'm actually gonna take the headphones out. The way he wove in um, all the Discworld novels are—they're all fantasy, but they're all fantasy with a twist on them. So there's a, there's fantasy crime stuff, there's fantasy horror, there's fantasy um, fantasy like uh, mysteries and stuff, all with like an element of humor. And I just love that like blending of genres. Completely freaking ruined my entire writing style because now I can't write in one genre without going. Wouldn't it be cool if I did this as well? Oh, yeah. but extra stuff. Also. As a weird one, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Stephen King earlier on, uh, I I read loads of Dean Koontz before I started. Oh, any- oh the Koontz, man. <laughs> like, the Koontz and the natural enemy of the king in the wild. <laughs> we keep on threatening to, like, read one of his books for... Uh, I have no reason not to read Dean Koontz. Yeah. My mom liked Dean Koontz. I just... You're king or you're Koontz, you're Coke or you're Pepsi. Yeah. What yeah. are you doing here? There's the sharks and the tigers. What's that yeah. musical? Where they all... Dance in the street. West Side Story. That's the one. Mm. I'm assuming that's it. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, Dean Koontz was a weird one because, like, I really loved the not realizing that he was like the the antithesis to Stephen King in a way. Like, where Stephen King goes more like left leaning, old old school hippie type vibes. Dean Koontz is a old school conservative. So the p- politics are completely different. And um, which is probably like, considered a liberal now, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's as he's gotten older, he's like, I, I was chatting yeah. to bollocks. <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but the, the, the didn't affect the story so much. But like, he'd sometimes go on long rants about how everyone, oh, everyone's so degenerate these days with the boom boxes, and this is like the seventies and yeah. long 80s. hairs, <laughs> yeah, and the mini skirts and long hair and, and the shaving wild armpits. <laughs> He's an interesting writer. His stories are great. Like the one that I really like, I'm like looking, I was trying to find it on my bookshelf there. Um, Lightning was the one that really, like, just really caught me. It's about a um, a time traveler who go, who appears during key events of someone's life to like save it, save her from like getting killed a bunch of times. And I'm going to spoil it, but like the rules of time travel in that are just really clever. Like it's, really well put together and probably doesn't probably hasn't aged as well as mm. i'm probably remembering it but it's a good fun book be interesting going one. back and reading stuff like that that mm. you read when you were younger to see like was this actually good or was I just, my brain wasn't fully formed yet <laughs> i mean i reread it a while ago and parts of it held up and other parts like oh no no that's that's that wouldn't fly today <laughs> yeah i feel that when i read some of uh like Stephen, like The Shining or something, like Stephen King's earlier stuff. Like you can't say that anymore. Which so it doesn't doesn't necessarily make it bad or good. It's just to show the state of things now. No, oh, yeah. Like when I read Huckleberry yeah. Finn this year, I was like, God damn, that's harsh. <laughs> like, ah, uh, I understand why they may not want kids to read this in school. At least not in the fourth grade. Yeah. Um, heavy stuff in the. Yeah. Well, it's, not, it's less like it's less like oh you can't get away with anything. It's more that we're more aware of stuff now. I think. True. And we kind of know we know better now. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, it's an interesting climate to be a writer in. Anyway, going into my list because I have to be the pretentious one. Mm. My <laughs> my influences are more literary fiction guys, but I will say like Haruki Murakami since we were talking about him earlier, uh, he was definitely a big influence on me 
a few years ago when it comes to like the magical realism elements you can incorporate. Oh yeah, because I don't think you would have that story that you've been that you were yeah. on if it wasn't for Mirakami. Well, Bob. just like a lot of the postmodernism stuff and just like the unique things you could do with the writing itself, I've learned a lot lately. But when it comes to actual like succinct storytelling. I would say John Steinbeck was probably my biggest mm. influence because he could just tell a good story and it didn't have to be overly complicated or anything. Uh, a lot of people would credit Hemingway for that. Uh, obviously, he was more the creator of that style, but I, it's kind of boring. Yeah, I was going to say, just from the little bit I've read of them, it's like Hemingway might have started it, but John had like perfected it. Yeah, Steinbeck was, again, I think because his focus was more on telling a good story. Mm. Versus Hemingway is about all the machismo and the drinking, and sometimes the word blue could be another word that's yeah. a little better. You could punch it up or use a metaphor or something, but it would just, for that guy, it would always be blue. He would use the most simplistic language that anyone could understand, but at times it does get a little dull. But like I, I was, I mentioned earlier about these people influence your writing, but can it be a negative thing? So I mentioned, like, when I was reading all that H.P. Lovecraft stuff, all of a sudden I was writing, like, Lovecraft. I had that when I read a lot of Yukio Mishima early on. I was writing a lot of Japanese imperialistic style. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? Have you guys come across that? Have the oh, you know, like, one that does, and it, and it just always makes me feel bad because it's, oh, it can never compare is whenever I get into reading some, like, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And then you just try, and then you just crash and burn and fail terrible. Just that warm voice yeah. trying to come through the paper. It's like, I don't sound like that. No. My words don't come off like his. They're not charming. The thing I love about Neil Gaiman as well is, like, he's, he has this really warm style, but the stuff he's writing about is horrifying. Horrifying. Like, yeah. <laughs> real nasty horror in there. The Graveyard Book opens up with a family getting stabbed to death in their yeah. sleep. But it's like, you read it, and you're like, oh, this is charming. It reminds me of being in a cottage <laughs> sipping tea. <laughs> no, there's a I, family uh, getting massacred. The version that, I, that, I've, that I've got is uh, it's illustrated. So it, start, it looks like a children's book mm -hmm. about a guy murdering a family. <laughs> I have that edition as well. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I should get that. I can give that to my niece. Before she gets older enough. <laughs> Go ahead. Read it. It's, it's good. Well, even Coraline had some elements where I'm like, this doesn't seem kid-friendly, but the way he writes it, yeah. it's fine. Uh, that's a skill that I will never master. But before we go too long, because cold opens already 12 minutes, we'll have some fancy space music, and then we'll actually get to the real episode. I got to come up with a name for you, too. Yeah. You are listening to the Drunken Penwriting Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the Bolivian butt bandit church. I'm always a bandit of something. Yeah, I was going to say butcher, but that seemed too harsh. <laughs> yeah, that's a little rough. <laughs> I know over in the UK they say fanny, but uh, what is it, or is that for a car? I don't remember. Fanny is for a lady's buttocks, you know, area. <laughs> or is it just the area in general? For a... For a I don't know. I'd say, I don't say. I was gonna like. I was gonna drop the C bomb early, but that's fucking offensive. And horrible. <laughs> we'll we'll it's, wait. It's, we'll yeah. wait for that. Wait till the right. beer settles in. Yeah, couple more pints in, and then just, it's it's punctuation at that point. If you're wondering, folks, who the sophisticated Englishman is <laughs> on the podcast today, he is our guest, Mister Affable himself, Matt Holland. Uh, we welcome I've you to the show. I've never been called. Uh, 
called sophisticated before in my entire life. This is there's a real, true, genuine honor. We're American, so just everybody is. See, that's the thing. I don't know if you've ever been to the U.S. or how many uh, Americans you are friends with, but over here, as long as you don't have the awful Dick Van Dyke Cockney <laughs> accent from Mary Poppins, we were like, that guy's sophisticated. You could be you know a tramp and we're just like oh that's that's a guy he sounds like he knows a thing or two He's about a thing a professor <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, that's terrible that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah. no, i've been to america a bunch of times i used to i was one of my ex-girlfriends was american so i've been to see her a few times and uh i've, I've traveled around texas and new york state never new york city for like reasons i've never been never been that far far out and been to florida a bunch so i've been to america a few times and every time I've gone, I've found this that people people are like that. Like, oh, you sound really smart. I'm like, I'm really not. I'm just. I'm, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just think. You college. said you you went to Florida. Just yeah. having just being able to put syllables together, you know, just kind of yeah. makes you sound more intelligent. Well, also, and I don't know why this is a common theme, but most guests we have on that are from out of country our country rather they always say oh yeah i went to the u.s i went to texas they always yeah. go to te- i've never been to texas i don't want to go to texas <laughs> right? i have no interest in fucking texas it, I, I, great, i'm sure it is if you like fire ants and it's hot and everybody has big hats and big guns i mean i'm sure texas is fine but just the point we got a lot of listeners from texas we texas <laughs> at least up here because we get a lot of texans come from the oil industry very nice polite people but just so cocky. They just have an attitude. But, and just also, like, I've just never been like that. Like the cowboy. Not the cowboy yeah, type? Like, yeah, like the, with the hat and the boots. Living in a Cormac McCarthy novel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's good that you went to... You know, I mean, you know, Texas, is like I said, it's fine. I'm sure it's great. I'll probably go one day. I've had layovers in Texas. Mm. I've been to Dallas and everyone was a jerk to me. But... <laughs> Um, what did all the Texans say that about Dallas as well? Like, <laughs> I think that maybe that's my. I think that's what my negative stereotype of Texas is: is Dallas. It's just Dallas. Yeah. I don't like anything Dallas, but our area, we just don't like Dallas. So yeah, that could be it. I heard Austin's great. I like Mexican food, and there's a lot of great uh, Mexican restaurants in the area. So, but it's probably worth checking out. Maybe we'll do a convention there or something. But yeah, it's always Texas, California, New York. Well, you said you didn't go to the city, but. New York State's great, I'd imagine, outside of the city. Oh, yeah. I've been to Buffalo, and it was okay, and a couple other places. I've been in Rochester. Rochester. I heard Rochester's kind of cool. They have conventions there. What's the big one? Very there? pretty area. Yeah. Well, I always want to go like the Adirondack Mountains, and I think, I don't know if Rochester's in that area or not. I don't know. My, my geography's terrible. <laughs> uh, that, I don't even know where I am right now, so I <laughs> <laughs> couldn't place anywhere on the map. <laughs> Anyway, we again we digress way too far. We're talking about geography of the United States and most of our <laughs> listeners. Well, you know what? Our German listeners probably will appreciate it. Or just be like, shut up, I don't care. Shut up. <laughs> I don't know why we have so many German listeners now, but I do like it. And they're all from places I can't pronounce. I, I think like maybe Berlin or something. No, it's always like Wachenruckenstein or something. Uh if you would care to indulge us, or at least our listeners, Matt. Because we cover how I found out about you. I don't even remember exactly how it went down. I think I did a call out on Twitter for like indie authors or something. But yeah. we are very, I just looked before the we started recording. The very first book of the month we ever did was your book, Hair of the Dog, way back in 2019. Still, uh, still like that's still, I think that was the first YouTube video I liked on YouTube as well. Like, um, when I watched it on before I listened to podcasts properly, like a normal person. I like just watch the YouTube version, and I was like, "That was huge for me." That was uh, 
as it's it was surreal having people discussing my work especially people you don't know yeah. at least at the time yeah. so it's like yeah that's that's cool i was uh, honestly expecting you to hate it i was like this shite is just gonna get panned <laughs> <laughs> Our first book of the month, and it's garbage. Well, Spencer, uh, was you were saying that it was before you even had a Kindle? Yeah, I had to read it. I had to read it on my phone because uh, I didn't have a Kindle yet. And then I finally, one year, I was able. I got a Kindle for my Christmas or birthday or something like that. And I've foolishly haven't had it. Got back around to getting any of the rest of the series to to check back in. Unfortunately, uh, but the first one seems to be the one that sells that the, the people like the most and it kind of well i don't think i don't i don't think it's it goes downhill i think i think it improves but readership kind of cuts off round about book two well last week's episode i always forget his last name jeremiah on prev on poverty it, it, it's a weird like i'm like uh even when we did the introduction i still botched it my apologies jeremiah if you're listening but he has a book called the hive i think it's just called hive and we were talking to him about it, and he said it's a nine. It's gonna, no, 12, I thought. I thought it was nine. Either one, it's long. Yeah, either way, nine or 12, it was going to be a series. So he wrote the first one, he just finished the second one, it was going to be a series. And we were talking about how it's really hard to get the second book, the third book, the fourth, how many you have in the series to sell because if they don't read the first one, they're not going to buy it, obviously. So you have to keep that first one up and like get people interested in that throughout your whole time of trying to promote the new book. And that's just like, there's always going to be a fall off anyway. If people are like, I like that. Or even like us, we really liked Hair of the mm-hmm. Dog. Just had so much reading stuff and never got to the other books. Like, yeah. that's one of those things. And I don't know how you are about social media and promotion and all that shit, but we suck at it. Oh, okay. But I would imagine it's just like one of those things. I don't want to do that. I just want to fucking want people to read my book. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, getting on social media to promote is so hard. Especially Twitter nowadays is uh, since dickhead's face took over um <laughs> it's just it's fall it's a crumbling mess that only seems to promote the worst people am i like just the dumbest loudest most racist evil people possible just getting huge amounts of promotion and like people countering that getting less and writers have never had like a good people fucking hate us yeah. on social media like we are like the worst of the worst um so we were never getting a good ride anyway but now it's just there's nothing there at all since the Twitter takeover, all I get for my recommended tweets, like on the news thing, are outrage things that are going to piss me mm-hmm. off. I don't get anything that I would actually follow. When I get the notifications of, oh, new tweet from somebody, it's somebody I don't follow, and it's always like some fucking right-wing asshole. Yeah. And I was like, why am I getting fucking Steven Crowder tweets? Or fucking, I keep get, you know who I keep getting? I don't have any idea why, because I've never seen a video or anything. Is that fucking uh, Andrew Tate? Oh, like yeah. I keep getting all these yeah, tweets all from him. I was time. like, I don't even fucking follow this douchebag, and I just keep getting the shit. But anyway, as far as the fucking dick face taking over, right after he took over, my I mean, I wasn't tweeting a lot anyway anymore. I got kind of sick of it. But I, I like I just no engagement. I was like, I don't think anybody's seen my tweets anymore. And then they unrolled that you could see how many people actually see your tweets, and it's like oh, five yeah. people. I'm like, so why am I even doing this? I only got like, well, I've lost a lot of followers over the fucking years because I just don't, you know, I'm not active on there anymore. But like for a while, I was like engaging with everybody and like the writing community was kind of cool and it was all right. But it's just like so shitty now. I'm like, I'm not even ever promoting anything on there. It's terrible. (laughs) Well, also too, like you were saying, it's, it's like, what's the point 
because it's not going to break the algorithm to get to anybody to see it. Well, they want you to buy the stupid Twitter blue and get the fake check mark. But like how then that, you get seen. But how like I don't understand like how that's supposed to just because you have the check. Well, that's how that's going to get on people's like feeds. However the algorithm works, it boosts those ones. So again, like you know, I was saying about the Andrew Tate notification. If you have the stupid check mark, you'll get your notifications sent to people's phones and shit. It's it's stupid, and in Twitter sucks. It's a fucking fiery dumpster, and <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, I try Instagram, but it's just like I don't. It's a hard thing for writing. If you're a writer, how are you gonna oh, you want to see my nice paragraph? Hey, baby, I got some exquisite sentence structure. Like no, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I mean, there's a thing I was, I always want to do this, but I keep not doing it because Instagram is very strange and weird to me. But um, I always think like putting quotes from like stuff I've written or like books and or poems and stuff, I'm putting them in like nice little quote. You know, when you see those like quotes from people and they're done all in nice fonts and stuff, mm-hmm. tend to do that. But a, but a whole Instagram page of just that. It just looked like you've been invited to the world's most pretentious wedding. <laughs> I've uh, I've done those on Instagram for a while. I was trying that, and I would do like story excerpts and th- different things I was writing, and didn't get any more engagement than my normal stuff. Probably less. So I was like, "What's the point of this?" I've actually had. I mean, getting published helps, but you know, if I public or if I post on Instagram, like a place I've gotten published with either an excerpt or just like, you know, a paragraph describing what, where and why I got published. That seems to get some like likes and stuff. But again, my numbers are fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't use it enough. And it's just, we talked about before, it's like, maybe we should just do it. Well, TikTok's going to be banned here now. So <laughs> probably can't do that. But like, I do like a, a writer TikTok. Maybe you can have really fast paced, angry videos and people want to read your work, but probably not. The way I look at it, if you get published in the New Yorker and only a thousand people are going to read yeah. your story, what luck do like normal people like us have? Nobody cares. Yeah. It's a hard, hard business, but like if it was easy, we wouldn't. Well, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Although it does kind of feel like everyone is doing it. Yeah, everyone <laughs> tries to do it. Yeah. Well, every time I do, which again, I mean, I don't want to say you should feel privileged that we picked your book, but I had a lot of books came in. I remember that time. And because we, we do that, we used to do that every what, once or twice a year. Yeah, we would do a shout out for indie authors, and then we get a bunch of books. And what we try to do is buy the physical books if we can, because usually those cost more. And you was like, hey, you know, get a physical book. So we buy a, a lot, and I'd say ninety eight percent of them are just fucking terrible. Mm. It's just like we we just don't talk about them because like these were so bad. Like most of them, I don't even finish. Yeah. And it's not even it's like, oh, you didn't hire an editor. It's like, no, you can't even write. <laughs> like, It's just, it's not good. So at least your book, we were like, oh, this is really good. We enjoyed it. And it was fun. It was like, I could see this as an actually just like through Penguin or something. Right. You know? Like this should be just like a series that you could buy, like The Expanse or something. But it's great. the That's world a, it means a lot to hear that actually. Well, the world is a fickle place and we don't hold much weight in the publishing industry no. anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> Who does these days? I have thought about, I've toyed with the idea of starting an actual physical magazine, like a DPW review or something, but the overhead of that is, yeah. and there's and just doing the submission process I've been doing this last year, there's so many magazines and journals out there, it's like, why bother? Because we looked, when yeah. we had the web, uh, we talked about this before, when we had the website up, I found a site that monitors the visitors and stuff for like the top literary journals down to like some lower end literary journals and 
just going by the numbers, we obviously weren't on the list, but when we had the DPW website, we would have been actually in the middle of that list. Like, we were doing a lot better than some, like, really, like, well-to-do magazines that have been around for 100 years. And I'm like, if we're getting more visitors than them, like, why are we, like, why is anybody bother submitting to these places? That's why they don't pay. It used to be, if you wanted to get published, like, they, we pay you to publish your work. Now it's like the opposite. No, you pay to submit to us. And we might. And we might. And it's like, what the fuck, what is going on here? I don't know how the submission, uh... Or like the literary scene is out your way. I know I've submitted to some Irish magazines, and it just seems just as pretentious and awful as the American scene right now. It's I mean Ireland, I think, is a bit better, but um, yeah, England is a shit show. Everything is done through London, pretty much. Like people are making movements to make it better in different like there's different like regional um, charities and publishing houses setting themselves up in other parts of the country. But even though it's a small country. It is just, it's pretty much like every, all the resources and all like the media jobs and all the people who know, like, who know people and network together, they're all down in London and everyone else is just kind of scrambling to keep up. It's a, it's hard to get anywhere. I mean, I've been lucky because I was doing some, I've done some work with a charity in Liverpool called Writing on the Wall, which is, it's a writing charity just pretty much designed to, their, their entire ethos is to bring writers who are just otherwise underrepresented in the publishing world and try to get them published in places. And I'm actually been published through a few of their things this year. So I'm like lucky that I've got that resource here. But even that, like it's struggles to compete. We've got a we've got a Liverpool literary agency now, which I'm which I've submitted something to and I'm hoping to hear back from soon. But even with that, it's just to compete with London is it's almost unthinkable because all the people who who can get stuff on on like in the press and all the magazine all like the major magazines are based down there um mm. yeah it's it's everything's down there but nothing else for nothing for the rest of us i haven't submitted to to i don't think too many english publications i submitted to the fiction desk which i think is based in the uk somewhere they rejected me and then, like I said, I seem to find more Irish magazines and stuff. I like I submitted to the Dublin Review and uh, a couple other usually try to go for ones that aren't as esteemed as like the Dublin Review because that'd be like the Paris Review or the New Yorker. You're probably not going to hear back even. A lot of those ones, they just leave you in the slush pile because they don't have enough interns to cover all the shit they have. But uh, I found some like lower end ones that might be promising but those are pay publications, which is nice. And it seems the, at least the Irish publications I found pay okay. The, a lot of the U.S.-based ones, they don't pay at all. You might be lucky if you get contributor copies. I'm like, why am I paying a fee to submit to a magazine that if they publish me, I just get to say I was in the magazine? Like That's most and of the scene here. You might get a copy so you could show people, like, look at me, this is me. Well, Bryce, who was on the podcast before, he got published in PA Bards recently, and he was telling me, uh, because they're having a reading, He got he's a poet, so he's, he's going to read one of his poems at an event they're having, I think it's like 45 minutes from here or so. Not only does he have to pay to go to the event to that he's in. reading that. Yeah, it's in. like five bucks or something. He has to pay to get into the event that he's going to be reading that. But he said he had to pay like 20 bucks per copy of the book if he wanted to. Like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Jesus. Well, that's um, a scam, dude. Like, what's happening? Colin Ellison had a great, uh, there's a great interview 
with him um when he was like famous and he they were saying like why do you still accept your your fee for going to literary festivals and in in his usual fucking foul mouth ways you know i'm fucking if i don't take my money then they're not going to pay everyone else and he's like i mean he's taking his money yeah <laughs> he's getting paid for it like of course he's gonna like he, he's gonna take it but it makes sense though like um nobody because there was a huge controversy a little while ago when um literary festivals in in the uk were making authors kind of show up for free but i think it was philip what's his name wrote northern lights philip adams i think might be wrong maybe one of the last good things he did before he lost his mind on twitter <laughs> was he had a huge campaign about um making sure that people authors got paid for going there and his argument was that the literary festivals are paying caterers they're paying like staff they're paying uh they're paying for the lighting they're paying for they're paying for everything but just the authors the people that people are paying to go and see they're just not paying anything to it all the reason the event is held and they're not paying those people like come on well we're talking about events i want a little more information on this because i wasn't i haven't followed enough so i wasn't quite clearly exactly what this is but you've been doing something called uh pulp idol yeah, Pulp Idol. Uh, this that was a thing I did with writing on the wall, where a bunch of well, it, it was a competition for Liverpool writers to submit the first chapter of a novel. They could it could either be complete or not, and you had to do a like every, if they had something like two hundred and fifty, maybe maybe even more than that. I think it was like five hundred or so people in the end applied for it. It's a huge amount of people. Oh, they got organised into heats, and each heat had to read from the first chapter for a maximum of two minutes. And there was a timer that like stopped after four, four minutes. Sorry. Four, that's a read for a, ma- that's a maximum of four minutes with a timer on. And then afterwards you were asked like a, a bunch of probing questions from judges who would be like, what was your, some, some questions were easy. Like, Oh, what was your influence for this? So what, what does this character, what, what were you thinking when you wrote this character? Others are like, what's the hook of this novel? Uh, what similar titles on the shelves would this be similar to at the moment within the last five years? So I had to do that in the heats, and I got through in the end against some really good stories. Like another writer who was on the same heat as me wrote a book about pirates, but it was like Scouse pirates, which were a thing, and it's just really fascinating. And I really wanted to read more of it, but he didn't get through. Um, oh. Unfortunately, it was like I felt like he was robbed, and I got through instead. <laughs> like he deserved it more than I did. But I got in, and then we had to do a event in the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool, where we each did had to read out the four minutes of our novel again with three judges this time instead of two. Uh, asking us like each one was the very probing questions about like uh, everything about the book, how you would sell it, and uh, which was more saleable. And I had to compete with twelve other writers there. Um, Sounds so win. stressful. Yeah, it's hard. Um, but I was lucky enough that I'd written the book before. Um, well, I said written the book because I'd written it, but yeah. uh, I'd written the book and edited it a bunch of times, so I knew it quite well, so I could answer a lot of the questions that were kind of throwing people, throwing other people off. Um, but I didn't win and didn't didn't get runner up or anything. Um, but I am been pub- but everyone who made it to the final gets published in the final anthology anyway. So there's not really. It's mainly for bragging rights to say who won and who came runner-up and stuff. There's not really like a prize. I don't think there was a prize anyway. Yes, yeah, so that's what I've been trying to promote at the moment. Um, that's the and the anthology I'm in is going to be out in, I think it's May. They've said possibly June, but depends on how long the publication process takes. It can it can vary. Is there a website or anything people can find that? I'll look it up actually. It's on the Twitter handle is Wildfest. 
Let's see if they've actually got. They've definitely got a website. I'm sure. Definitely been there before. I don't know why I'm saying, <laughs> saying that. I wish um, we had uh, something like that around yeah. here. Like, because P- Pittsburgh has an interesting literary scene, but it's such a niche scene that I don't like. Because I've looked at different events and they just seem very boring and not fun. Like that sounds fun. Yeah. Like that sounds like something would be interesting to attend or something. But like the ones around here just aren't very interesting. But this is like this is like the only thing that we can that I know of anyway. There may be others that are out there, but this is like the most highest profile one of these that I've seen. Um I think most of like the literary scene in Liverpool is kind of comes from writing on the wall. Uh the website by the way is writingonthewall.org.uk. All right, folks, uh, check it out. Let's keep a you said what, maybe May or so? Maybe May, maybe June. In the meantime, they've got like um, a lot of it's like local classes for writers and um, community outreach stuff that they do. But there's also like a festival that's going on in in May, um, which I think I'm going to be performing at. I'm not sure. They haven't got back to me about that yet. But it's a pretty exciting time anyway. Do you uh, get a bout of nerves when you go up to read or do you get used to it over time? Um, well, I've done. I go to a lot of open mics here in here in the city, and I read out my own short stories in front of like very drunken, <laughs> often angry crowds, wondering what the hell I'm doing and what gives me the audacity. You get a lot of like a lot of. I've had some really hostile crowds and stuff um, because like <laughs> they're here to listen to music, and here's some fucking jack off going on there to read <laughs> some stuff that they didn't listen to the beginning of, so they don't know what it is. And they're confused and angry and getting angrier <laughs> by the minute. So I got some real, but then a lot of the time, that's like the crucible that kind of made me less nervous about performing in front of people. So I can do literary festival where people are there to listen. All no, I don't say in my sleep or bragging like, but it doesn't make me as nervous as it used to do. And and kind of if if I get like thrown up on stage, like, oh, go up to this open mic, I just go up and and do it and get less nervous than I used to. See, I think I wouldn't have a problem doing that. And the drunker the crowd, the better for me, because I would just start heckling them back. <laughs> that, that maybe... But you end up having to, you have to be like, you end up being a stand-up with them. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up like uh, anti-heckler lines just to have stuff to throw back at them. Uh, well, the good, the, the tried and true for that is like, hey, I don't go to where you work and knock the dick out of your mouth yeah. or whatever, something <laughs> like that. Like... Go down to the docks <laughs> or post off, wherever, yeah. Uh, just watch a bunch of Jimmy Carr stuff. You'll get a, how to handle heckle, hecklers. Yeah, th- that would be. See, I wish we had something like that to attend because that would be fun. But we have literally nothing. No, nothing. I don't no. think most people around here even read or know how to read. It's it's. Is uh, there any like open mic nights and stuff that you can just go up and? Nope. No, I mean in, any bad. anything like that. It's like it would be strictly like comedy. Like I don't think. Like they if would I went up, to... so say I went to Pittsburgh, which is a pretty liberal town. It's very racist, racist. So I don't know how it's considered a liberal yeah. town, but they consider it a liberal city. But anyway, so say I went to Pittsburgh, and then I found because they do have literary events here and there. But if I just went to the Improv or something, I was like, I'm gonna read some poetry. Yeah. I would get booed off stage and probably beaten with beer bottles. <laughs> uh, if I read a short story, because that's longer than a poem, I would probably get murdered. Yeah. So I would not recommend that. Uh, too many people in this country have guns, so <laughs> you, yeah, you kind of have to know what you're doing. And there's a lot of rivers around there you could just get dumped into and be gone forever. <laughs> yeah. And I wish I was joking about that, but I'm not. I was like, I've, I've had some bad open mic experiences, but I've never that's never been that bad before. <laughs> never the Such fear words. of murder. <laughs> 
It's always the first time, and it only has to be one time. That bloke was so, he was such shite that he got stabbed and thrown in the ditch. <laughs> I think his poem was that awful. Oh, well, um, the Mazzy's right there. It could just, you could easily drop. There's probably loads of bodies floating in there already. <laughs> like, oh, there's poets and novelists who tried to go up and read short stories. Just There's a specific dumping parlor for those people. To be fair, some of them probably just dumped themselves in there. They're like, I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. <laughs> Um, either move to London or throw myself in the Mersley I'm making my choice I would think if there was any place like a place where you could go to read like poetry or short stories I don't know if I could just walk into it just because like the smugness in the room I don't know if I could breathe at all you couldn't handle it yeah um, Everybody be wearing beanies when it's like ninety degrees out, and well, again, I don't really know how the literary scene is in the UK, but over here it is very pompous. Yeah, there's a lot of people that think they're amazing and deep, and I'm just like, oh, this is fucking terrible, and it's just boring, and I hate it. So I would I'm imagine that's probably that. across the the board, though. In most countries, everybody thinks they're way better than they are, uh, and those people. They uh, end up buying, like, t- fucking Twitter and shit, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of, like, poetry readings like that, like, pretentious poet people and stuff, I went to a event that was just, it was just a poetry reading for, like, first-time poets or, like, well, it wasn't just first-time poets, it was people who, like, just had poetry to read out. There's all kinds of people, like, people reading out poems about how they their family had fled from war and, like, talking about, like, deaths in the family and just really every poet was fucking phenomenal like they're really good they had like loads of great stuff to say some of them were funny some of them were sad and it was a brilliant night and someone who'd had the idea that every poet was like a pretentious uh knobhead um <laughs> had brought uh had brought like a beret and he was on the middle of the night and he had a poem called pretentious poets about how all poets are pretentious and you're only reading your poetry so it's like to these people who had just poured their hearts out and had yeah that's kind of shitty it did not land at all the way he wanted it and he, he was thinking he was going to be funny and he put that fucking beret down and he i don't think i saw him ever again <laughs> he, i just picture him smoking a cigarette too like taking big long pauses and drags off the one cigarette. of the one of those really long ones that are on the end of those sticks yeah like the, the <laughs> women used to smoke in the 20s so their teeth don't get all brown um in other news you were on the radio recently uh i tried to listen but i could not get the link to work properly like i couldn't get the right connection yeah i'm not sure what what that was like i don't know if it it um, didn't have a playback like it just sent me to like the live radio i couldn't get the the where yeah. you, you know the part you were on there are there was a i think they're archived but you've got to go to the writing on the wall section of that website and it's quite hard to find because I, I had to dig for it to try and find it to share to people later on but i think they're all still archived on there but it was, the radio station was a uh, melodic distraction it's a local um uh, left-wing radio station in Liverpool that um, mainly internet-based. I think it. I think I'm pretty sure you can get it from all around the world. Um, but I don't know if there's a region lock in the US or something. You know, it's all kinds of weird legal stuff at the moment. Mm. It's like me when I try and watch anything on Hulu. Like we don't get Hulu over here, so uh, really, 
completely region locked. We can't get anything. Even try to watch it with a VPN and just, yeah, it's... Uh, if it makes you feel better, yeah. they're trying to ban VPNs in this country and make it... You could get up to 20 years in jail oh, shit, or in that. prison for using a VPN because... Wow. Yeah. That, that's a bill they're trying to pass now because it, it's called the TikTok bill because they're trying to ban TikTok because of China's influence. But if you look into the details of it, VPNs and any kind of app, basically it's the Patriot Act of the Internet. So they want to be able to monitor your emails, your chat history, everything you do online and basically doing what China does. I don't know how that is freedom, but it is. it does not sound like freedom to me. No. But uh, go ahead wonderful u.s government you seem to be doing such a great job horrifying though yeah i want to go to jail for 20 years because i wanted to fucking watch a video that's in the uk that i can't because you know i had to go on a vpn to watch it and it's like oh now you're going to jail and just think of all the businesses that's gonna because there's like there's like multiple of those like yeah there's vpn sites and stuff but yeah. I, I don't know i don't know why they do stupid shit like that I guess because they just want... Uh, that's the thing. People act like, oh, no, the U.S. never did this before. We're going in the wrong... No, we, we've done this throughout our whole history. Mm, we had time. McCarthy era where it's mm. like, oh, you know, the the commie scare, the Russians and the communists, so we're going to monitor everybody and blacklist writers who uh, are communists and just stupid shit like that. But uh, this that is pretty scary. I don't like it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't actually use VPNs myself. No, but. I'm not. Uh, yeah, but I don't want to be monitored everything I right. do, even more yeah. than I already am. You know, I think like the US and the UK are in kind of a race to see who can be the dumbest country because you have like the TikTok bill and everything, and all lot are just just oh. We even both hired everything. guys with the same stupid fucking haircut, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what are we oh, doing? Yeah. It's, like, like, some... it's like they came from the same fucking factory. It's weird because we like we seem to do something very stupid, and then you guys seem to want to one up us every time. Yeah, every and, time we do something stupid, it's like, oh yeah, hold my beer. Yeah, so, I don't know what they tried to what they tried to ban last, or what they tried to. I know they tried to. The new thing was they want to make protests like completely legal, and I think that the official you're going to love this as the most like best Britishism in law. Like anyone who's considered a nuisance. We'll get locked up for ten years. Oh, wow! <laughs> what, like, what the fuck is a nuisance? If you're considered to be a nuisance when you protest, which is every protest yeah. at the least. So if you just show up to like a tiny little protest about uh, trying to, I don't know, bring back the what was the DC movie they the, the bring back the Snyder Cut? Yeah, you'd be you'd you'd go to jail for ten years for just for. Just for thinking about organizing in a public place. Well, just the vocabulary on that nuisance. nuisance. Nuisance is such an open word to be. Yeah. You know, like if you're violent at a protest, you can go like, okay, whatever. But a nuisance. You can put anything under that. I find myself in prison getting beat up by Charles Bronson because why? I was a nuisance. Like what the <laughs> fuck are we doing here? And that's not gonna fly when you go to jail. Oh, what are you being? What are you in here for? I was I was being a nuisance. <laughs> To be fair, I was not having it on that airplane. They said you can't have peanuts because people could have peanut allergies. I flipped out. I got arrested, and I was a nuisance. That's, that's why I'm here now. Protesting anti-peanut authoritarians. <laughs> um, well, I mean, in the U.S., it's really stupid because not only do we have federal law, we have state law. So every state is like its own country where 
you go to one state and you get arrested versus another state where you can just smoke 50 blunts in a row and you not get arrested. Like, just dumb shit. Oh, you get an abortion in this state. In this state, you go yeah, to you jail just, for murder. You you cross this imaginary line. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you go on the other side of that line? Now you're going to jail forever. You better not come back from that other side of that line and we'll get you. <laughs> And it's usually the sister fucking side that's like thinks like that too. I don't know if anybody noticed that. I'm gonna say it. Uh, I know we get a lot of southern listeners, and I know you're not all uh, having intercourse with your relations. But for the ones who are, you shouldn't be voting. That's just my opinion. I don't think. I think you should have a test to vote. Uh, I think voting should also be mandatory, like it is in like Australia. I'm assuming Australia is a more normal place, even though they're very wacky. But. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think you should be able to just vote. <laughs> like, just be like, oh, I can't read, and I'm a moron, but I should be able to vote on very serious matters. No, probably not. I don't like their hats. Their hats aren't cool like our red ones. Like, fuck you. Or when you're like so old, you don't even know where you are, but they just like, oh, here, honey, just hit this button. <laughs> yeah, go That's- on, Clem, go and vote now. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> I'm going to vote for that Reagan feller again. (laughs) I'm like, no, you can't do that. He's been dead for a long time. That's our entire voter block, though. It's all all, both the two main parties in our country trying to appeal to that. This one isolated racist in Kent. And they they can get this one guy to vote for them. Then they're they're set. The rest of the country will fall in line. And it's just not happening. And it's just so, so stupid. I like when I see, because Nicholas Obergon, who's been on the podcast a few times now, he's all, which he's always on a worldwide trip somewhere. He's an actual writer. Unlike us who want to be writers, he's actually a, a well-to-do writer now. But he's always posting about English uh, politics. And I never know, like, okay, I guess this is the bad side. Yeah. Like, because they got the Tories and the fucking, I don't know. Oh, there's no good side. There's a Labor <laughs> no Party. They're all just bad? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, like, this country, just both are terrible? Yeah, <laughs> there's no good side. Well, there are good sides, but they are, like, the small minor parties that... Don't get um, any votes. And everyone says, oh, I'm not voting for them. They'll never get in. It's like, well, they're not going to get in if you don't vote for them. <laughs> like, if you hate them, if you hate both the main parties and there's a... A smaller party that's doing what you want to vote for that party, like even if it's better than not voting at all and not doing anything. Well, the fact that you folks have a king now who doesn't actually rule anything makes me very confused on the point of Having what you kings. guys do. Like, yeah, I'm like, you have a royal family, but they're just like it's a name though, right? You pay for them to be in existence, but they don't actually do anything, right? They do a really important job. And what they do is a lot of money we thing in the in the UK, we generate a lot of tax money and if it wasn't for the royal family, a lot of that tax money would go to hospitals, schools <laughs> and need it. And do you want do you want do you want like schools to be drowning in money? All these school kids just suffocating in all the money we throw in them. Or do you uh, just want old people to get richer? <laughs> Who ring up all our excess money? God bless him. God bless <laughs> the king with his fat hands. <laughs> I hate the fucking cunt so much. Oh, <laughs> the entire know. pack of them. Just a absolute ravenous pack of parasites. Yeah, I never. I, well, obviously, we don't understand that here because we our country was founded by saying "fuck you, guy." We ain't paying your stupid taxes. We even had a big tea party about it. Like we ain't, we're not paying your stupid taxes. But when I saw when Elizabeth died, I'm just not. I'm not gonna say queen. No. No. 
You know what, you, you folks, you get Liz. me. Call know, Liz, call Liz. Liz, when Liz died, when she uh, bit the bucket, you know, uh, <laughs> I, it's funny because I saw online right after she passed away, uh, a lot of people were like actually genuinely upset and crying. And I was like, oh, they like actually like there are people in that country that they have very strong emotions to the royal family, but we're Americans, so we can offend them anyway. After she died, <laughs> I saw like all the countries that have been colonized, like yeah. around the world, were just like yeah. celebrating on live TV. Like, the old bag is dead. Amazing that day. It's like everyone just. This absolute bangers. What? The annoying thing was, I've been waiting. Like the joke was, she was dead in the summer. Like around about, she had like some fucking celebration thing that we paid for. Um, Her jubilation or whatever it was. Yeah, that Paddington on it, and uh, <laughs> fucking animated bear. And the animated bear looked more real than she did. Oh. And the, the theory, the theory was that. She was dead a long time. That was just like advanced AI and CGI and stuff. So the joke was always, oh, she's fucking dead. <laughs> and then the one time it's actually true was the time I was in like a, like it was round about the pulp idol time. It's like, oh, I'm finally getting notice for my writing and the fucking queen's dead. <laughs> Shit. And I can't talk about like, I can't do any of my queen is dead jokes because if the wrong like publisher hears it, oh, we're not going to publish this guy. He hates the queen. How dare and- you be a smart star royalty and... I saw uh, somebody actually said this because somebody questions like, why the fuck do you have a royal family? Like, why are you obsessed with this? Why do you like this? And someone, some English bloke, he said that they, uh, I forget the exact phrasing, but it was like, we love the queen because we're subjects of her and you need to respect that. I'm like, you're a subject? Why the fuck would you want to be a subject to someone? What are you, a serf? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you it's doing a, that? It's a weird, it's a weird BDSM fucking thing yeah. with a lot of these people. Like, it's, they want to be dominated by a powerful woman, which, you know, more power to you if that's what you want. But I don't want to pay, I don't want my fucking I don't want to, to be a grandma. That. Yeah. You just uh. pick, like... I don't know. They're, they're, uh, people are allowed to have their preferences, but pick someone your own age. And also, I hate them. Hate them so much. Do you know, Spencer, what the South and the United States and the royal family has in common? Incest? That's sister fucking. <laughs> yeah, a lot of incest. Yeah. A lot of keeping that blood pure. Yeah. That's why they, get that's why those... they brought uh, Diana in back in the day. It's like, oh, we got some fresh blood into the royal family. And yes. Yeah, that that like that that made them look human for a couple of years. Yeah. You <laughs> got a couple some somewhat normal ones that we know of because uh, the queen actually locked up her own. I think it was her aunt or her sister in like she was kind of just locked away in some like bungalow out in the middle <laughs> of nowhere for years because she was like disabled and it's like we don't want fucking someone who's less than perfect and it's like have you fucking seen the rest of you (laughs) (laughs) you've seen what the rest of you look like (laughs) don't worry about not being perfect none of you are you've got a guy there who can't who can't who says he can't sweat but fucking sweats bullets when you mention his many trips to thailand (laughs) yeah I, i never understood how uh like prince andrew just didn't get arrested it's like how you go to Epstein Island and all this stuff, and you're just like, nah, we'll buy you a house, and you just go relax. Like, this, what the fuck are you doing? He was punished very severely, actually. He was stripped of all his royal duties. I mean, he basically got put on paid vacation for, like, a year, and then now he's back. He's just doing stuff again. Like How harsh. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't he got, imagine. Uh, he got slightly smaller pay rise than he would have got otherwise. Like a cop in the U.S., he get paid to yeah. leave for yeah. fucking doing something exactly. horrendous. 
You know what? We don't need to talk about English royalty anymore, but I do want to touch on one more thing because uh, it's my favorite thing. When uh, Prince William, uh, when it was the whole Prince of Pegging thing came out, that was one of my favorite things on Twitter. <laughs> That's why I don't delete that stupid app because of things like that. Like He was just the Prince of Pegging and it came out that he's just like getting pegged. And they just hired like a mistress or something to do it. I'm like, that's that sounds right. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but it sounds like it should be. Sounds true. And when Twitter is good, it's fucking good. Yeah, like, it's it's just a lot of the time it's just shite. It's like that abusive boyfriend that you, that you keep around because like every once in a while he's really nice. That one time, but all the other times he's a dick and beat you. Yeah, he beats you a lot, but he has a big willy, so yeah. <laughs> it makes up for it. You know. So royal family aside, uh, how is <laughs> how is the writing currently? Um, at the moment, I'm still I do a short story on my website mattholandauthor.com every month, and I'm working on this month. This month has kind of been delayed a little bit because I've just had a lot of like real life non writing stuff to deal with. I'm hoping to spend a bit of time tomorrow finishing the story and getting that up before the end of the month because i've got this it means nothing to anyone but me but i need to get something on that website every month just to just for my own that's good practice yeah yeah my own sense of self-worth well i feel like super human garbage lately because on my website um i was publishing a lot of the old work from the dpw website on there and some new stuff and i was publishing multiple things weekly but i ended up having so many things out for submissions that I can't, you know, you, you can't have your own writing on your own website and submit because most places like, no, we don't accept that because that's considered published. I'm like, how? It's my website. What? Anyway. Uh, so I've, it's probably been like a month or so. So other than the podcast, I haven't published anything new on there. I'm like, Ugh. like, I feel like shit because like, I'm not, well, you mentioned you wanted to read some of my stories. Like, I can't put any up now because they're all out for submissions. And I'm not going to write news stories and put them just strictly on there when I can try to get them published somewhere first. Yeah. Uh, so that's been, like, my problem. But I have a whole bunch of things that have been rejected many times. So once I finish up with some of those rejections, I'm just going to put those on the website. So I'm going to have a huge dump here soon. And then you're also going to put some stuff on your website. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> A poop joke. Really, Spencer? Yes. You're that lowbrow. Oh, yes. On the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast, you're going to be that lowbrow. You know how many tens of people listen to this? <laughs> um, I just hope some of them were in the act of taking a deuce uh, during that. Especially those Australians, because their toilets swirl the other way. Yeah. That makes it sound cooler, I guess. I My writing has been... I've been, I got in a weird rhythm here because I was working on my novel for a very long time and it was going very good, but I started, I wanted to get some good stories out uh, for submission. So I wrote a couple and one I'm working on, but I all of a sudden hit that spot where it's like, oh no, I don't feel like working on this story and I don't feel like working on the novel. So now I'm procrastinating by just writing random bullshit. I'm like, this doesn't mean anything. What am I doing? Yeah, not doing, not getting anything done. Yeah. So I need to actually sit down and do real writing but i've also been doing a bunch of other dumb shit that i don't want to do like reading alan moore's jerusalem for instance (laughs) for like three years yeah i finally finished that and now i'm just like i'm well fuck i I started reading shakespeare as just a reprieve from such hard literature like what the hell is that the one he did recently about leeds or is that everything something else northampton this came out in i think it came out in 2016 he wrote it i think it took 10 years from 
it's set in 2006, but I think it came out in 2016 or 2014, something like that. But it is a almost 1,300-page novel, basically about Northampton. And he uses every ridiculous writing device he can come up with. So you have a James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake chapter. I'm not even going to get into it. I'm going to do a whole episode on how angry it made me. But it was really good, but also the worst thing I've ever read at the same time. It's it's unique. He's a great writer. I like Alan Moore as a writer. He's really good. Um, never read Jerusalem because of like that reason. It seemed really intimidating. <laughs> it, it really is. You level up. Like I said, uh, being the dirty Americans we are, neither of us have read any, uh, maybe in school, but no Shakespeare. No. So... Uh, after reading that, I wanted just a nice palate cleanser. I need to read something easy. And I happened, uh, I went to a bookstore recently and I got a Midsummer's Night's Dream and I never read it before. And I was like, oh, I'll just read this real quick. You know, I'll probably not understand it. And it was super easy just because yeah. I read fucking Jerusalem. And I was like, oh, well, that's saying something because normally Shakespeare is like one of those things like I really need to think on this. But no, it was very easy. So now I'm worried that. Maybe everything I read will be easy and I'll get bored with life. I don't <laughs> no. know. This is the doom, the doom spiral. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I have yeah, a, <laughs> I have a giant Cambridge edition of James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm going to read this year. So that might bring me back down to a halting cool. screech of never mind. Jerusalem wasn't so bad. <laughs> I like, I picked up a copy of uh, Ulysses in uh, university and because everyone's like, oh, you've got to read Ulysses. It's the best. The <laughs> you don't understand any novel. of it. And I picked it up, read like a couple of the first pages, like, no. <laughs> and it's probably, it may get better. I've, I know I've never gotten past like the first couple of pages because it's just so densely written and so. Because I think that was an influence for Jerusalem, I think, by Alan Moore. A um, direct influence because James Joyce is in his book, his daughter's in his book, his daughter has incest in the book. And. Oh he has, like I said, a whole chapter that's written in Finnegan's Wake style, which is impenetrable. I actually found a translated version of that chapter, and I read that because it's just impossible to understand. But there's so many writing devices used in that. And at the same time, as, as much as I wanted to give up on it and hated it, it was, as a writer, fascinating. It was one of the best books I've ever read because it's like, I'm going to take every device that's been invented for, in writing. Plus and some. I'm yeah, and I get to read it in this weird story, and it's just like you learn so much just from that. So that that was very helpful. And it was, it, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was really good. It's just the parts of that were just too long and bad. Were bad. Like they're just. And the, uh, he needed a a really strict editor. And I read the afterword, and he said he had fucking a bunch of editors and stuff. I was like, well, they didn't do a good job then. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Stephen King to go back to Stephen King like everyone says like there, there are some Stephen King books I've read where it's like your editor, sh your editor should have caught that buddy come on like um, just where it goes on too long the ending takes too long to wrap up and you just because that's a, a, a criticism of Stephen King is like the endings never quite land like they yeah. build and build and build so well and then the ending is just not quite good enough I'm not one to talk my the fucking end of Hair of the Dog <laughs> is not ideal like but but you had yeah, a sequel at least, yeah. so you can, you yeah. know. But the 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 criticism of Stephen King, having like he needs to get editors. I think every editor who gets to Stephen King is so intimidated by the fact that Stephen King, they just let him get away with stuff, whether he wants that or not. I think Alan Moore may possibly have the same problem, where it's oh, like yeah. it's Alan Moore. He's he's a legend. You can't like edit any of his stuff too too harshly. What if? But I get the impression as a man, he'd be 
open to being edited. It's just yeah. maybe the editors were just oh shit. See, because if I more. if I was an editor, I'd be worried about him putting a curse on me for <laughs> trying to like trying to give him an, a you spell know? on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you are the level of Alan Moore, or even more to the famous regard of a Stephen King, how do you tell Stephen King, hey, guy who's super successful and every book sells a billion copies, uh, you need to change this. Yeah. Like it's it's. Even if he would listen, you might not want to do it because, like, he knows what he's doing. It's what you were thinking, anyway. Especially because, like, he has like those kind of people. They normally have a following that even like, oh, even though like they know like the ending might not be that that great, they're in for it regardless, and they're gonna yeah. get they're gonna get like any book doesn't matter, you know. So it's one of those writers where you're not there for the for the big twist reveal ending. You're not there for like the the climax you're there for the journey and yeah i respect that i love that about stephen king like his writing style is really good for that like the build-up and the journey and the characters and all the elements work really well it's just and and i, I shit, not not shitting on all the endings some of the endings do work it's just as a general like yeah. criticism of his work but i mean then yeah. that's something he's very open about too like he was making fun of himself about that in the new it movie well that's yeah. why <laughs> Honestly, he's probably a better short story writer. Oh yeah, his short stories are great. Well, he be- oh, he came fantastic. up from the um, American pulp fiction, so that's the style he grew up reading, and that's how he developed his writing style. So the short stories with a hard twist ending or just a hard ending was how he came up. But then when he gets the novels, uh, because he says he's a great character developer, he focuses more on that oh. and the story unwinds. But then it's like, okay, this has been going on for way too long. Uh, but I love that about Stephen King, though, that when the books go along too long and um, you're just invested in these characters and the way he draws the characters to get, like, just comes up with just the little bits about characters, like little quirks about them and everyone, every character's kind of a little bit different and a little, a, I've got, like, a different perspective on things. That's brilliant and fascinating. I love that. And I tried to emulate that in my work maybe too much in the beginning, as you said at the start of the podcast, about emulating writers and um, trying to sound too much like them. I tried to do a lot of that in my early writing when I was reading reading a lot of Stephen King. I tried to do that. I'm going to draw my own characters really, <laughs> really well and not as well and <laughs> just waffling a lot of the time. Well, that's like the difficult thing is not only creating an engaging character that you know, it could be funny, dramatic, whatever you're going for, but they also have to be either relatable or a character that the reader hates. Like you have to elicit a strong emotion from the reader. But the main thing is you can't have a character that just comes off as plain or boring. Uh, Stephen King does it. Even we mentioned before on the podcast, like even side characters that aren't important to the story are what usually well-written and they have their own way of speaking, their own way of acting, their own way of thinking. But I find a lot of even very well-regarded writers fail at that because they think, oh, this gas station clerk is only in one scene. They're not important. I don't need to develop them. Uh, I think, personally, you should develop every character, though that, you know, that's a, that's a there's skill. Over, there's, and then there's overdeveloping where that gets into it's the... Like, I don't give a fuck about the gas station clerk. Why are we talking about their fucking home life so much? They don't come up ever... The extended universe. Yeah. yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, that's another Which thing. Which I fucking read. That sounds really good, actually. <laughs> I was gonna say that's another thing. Everything has an extended universe. Because uh, I just saw John Wick. Now they're releasing a movie called The Ballerina. Oh yeah. Which is a, in the John Wick universe. It's like that's cool, but 
there's like how how much can you go? Because how, would that be the fifth film in that universe? Well, no, because they're already doing it. Well, I, maybe, but they're gonna do a fifth film, John Wick film oh, too. Wow, yeah. So it's just like you know, Fast and Furious, too cool for school, and they're just gonna have another one and another one and another one. You're like, oh my god, I do want to see the new John Wick movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like the great. They're great films, like just in general, but yeah. world building. They've done a lot of world building. I think I'd I I read a a tweet from who was it? I think it was. I don't want to say who. I don't want to say who it was in case I get it wrong. But I think it was uh, Devin from the Kill James Bond podcast who talked about how it should be a, a tabletop role playing game because of the oh. world building behind it. And it's like, yeah, it's a fucking. It should be like it's. The world is so well drawn and interesting mm. on its own. That just reminded me because I, I completely forgot about this. I wanted to ask because I thought about getting into this, but this is one of those things we both discussed before where it's like, if we get into this, we're never going to have a life again. So we just can't. <laughs> you are a, a D&D man. So you're yeah. into the world developing, character creation, stuff like that from a D&D perspective. And Ashley's been on the podcast many times. Yeah. He's pretty much a DPW guy. He is a, what do they call that? A, a, a Dungeon Matcher? Master? The guy who runs it? Yeah, he, he's, he does that online. He's trying to get me into it. I was like, if I do, I'm not going to do yeah. anything else. So I can't. <laughs> this will be how, my life from now on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So... Like, do you find that really helps with your writing and stuff? Because I know there's a lot of world, you know, building and stuff going on there. I think it does. I think it depends on what side of the table that you're on. Like, Dungeon Masters have to come up with the world and the characters that populate it. So that's a good, that's a good, like, that's good practice for if you're trying to put together a group of characters or a world or anything. But when you're a player, you've got to come up with one character and make them interesting to play because you're going to be playing them for a long time unless you're doing, like, a one-shot. So that helps you really get into the head of like protagonists and uh, villains and stuff. And I found it really does help with uh, coming up with characters just in my own writing. Because one of the one of the tweaks that they always say in D and D is if you're not sure what type of character you want to play or you're not sure what type of character to create, just pick a character from fiction and make them your own. Because nine times out of the, out of ten. The other people at the table aren't going to know what work of fiction you're drawing from, and it's going to seem original anyway. So you, I sometimes take some D&D characters that I've played before and tweak them a little bit and put them into into one of my into one of my stories. I think um, one of my old D&D characters, um, I actually have written a basically a novel about like his origin story. It started as kind of a project just for my own enjoyment, and it turned out to be this is actually a really good story when i've read it back <laughs> yeah i'm looking to do something with that as well it's weird offshoots you can come up with like as you're playing with other people you see how their characters interact with yours and how they interact with the world and that sparks off like weird creative tangents like in a game a little while like in the like campaign we're at the moment we're in a feud with a assassin's guild that keep coming at us and trying to kill us in different ways while we're trying to do other things so we've got to deal with that while also trying to solve like the main quest and that gave me like just little ideas kind of sparking off about little stories that i can write and everything not not based on that but just like f little seeds that just pop out of it organically it's great fun and i de definitely reckon you, you could you should check out doing it even though you think like it's just going to be all you do uh, and it might be but <laughs> you, get, you get a lot out of it as a writer as well uh, you do like streaming and stuff too, video games. Have you done any streaming of D and D? Because that, that would probably be—I would imagine there's an audience for that. I did. Uh, my flatmate 
asked me to DM a a campaign on his YouTube channel. It's called uh, Top Hats and Canes D and D or T N C D and D. I'm gonna try and find the actual thing so I can say it. Yeah, I DM'd for that for like five or six episodes. It was a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't mind setting up one of my own one of the, one of my own, but I don't know anything about video editing or anything, so I need to learn that oh, before. Yeah. I, but it's called T T N C D and D on the Top Hats and Canes YouTube channel. Which I, I there's the first time I'd ever the the ran a session with this edition of D the current edition of D and D, so I was uh, genuinely terrified for most of it. <laughs> well, that's another thing too. I have no idea how to get into it. Yeah, like where where do you start? Like how do you do? You have to find a group online. I just it's very intimidating as an adult actually, man trying to get into that. You can actually like read a lot of the the rules and stuff online for free like the the come like the dean like wizard of the coast the company that like makes the books and stuff they give a lot of their stuff away f- for free that people like the basic stuff you can just read and and look into if you go on like D beyond the uh like the website they've got like all the stuff and anyone can like access the basic rules for free so it's worth just looking at just clicking and seeing character classes and uh races and spells and interest and stuff and just seeing if that sparks any interest and go from there well when i was a young man i played magic the gathering and that was a lot of fun uh but that's another like if i'm doing this yeah well that was the problem too is uh, as a poor young man actually i was a probably teenager at the time uh, i couldn't afford buying all the decks and you know the tabletop card game stuff you go to the what the, i guess the games like they always yeah. have them at the comic shops and stuff and it's like i can't afford to do the stuff i need to win <laughs> like you have to buy so many things and well, yeah, just that, that'd be like uh yeah because the one comic book shop that i that i used to go to they had a big that was like their other main thing and like i don't know, i remember i'd be man like because i'd be standing there and feeling kind of like not bad but like man i'm spending a lot of money on, on books like each week, and then you look, and over. then I see in the case there's like a twenty dollar card, a fifty dollar card, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> this better be like an automatic win. Like if I pay fifty bucks for this card and I lose, I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that stuff. Like I I got into it fairly heavy for a little bit, but then I was just like, I th- I can't pursue this. Yeah, the closest I ever got to anything like that was. Like Pokemon when it first came out, I did and Pokemon was... in elementary school, and it was the same deal. I was just I end up like a drug dealer actually. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, hey, you want I that guess. gold foil Pikachu? Got, like, <laughs> probably give fucking selling cards. Like, I remember I was really making a good profit off of that. But he'd probably be selling cards now that are worth like a million dollars or something. But back then we just had them. We tuck them. We pull your trench coat because we all wore trench coats and fedoras. Yeah. And then you just pulled them out. And like, hey man, I got the goods. What do you want? Everybody's wearing dusters. Cops come up and they fucking start beating your ass, and it's like I'm just selling Pokemon cards. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, so it was like in the '90s, though. Everyone was wearing their fedoras and dusters to school. Like, you need then, a, you need a good duster. And then the shootings happened. Yeah, <laughs> once the shootings that, happened, that didn't it it didn't seem as cool anymore. I don't know why. Well, I don't think they were really allowed to anymore. Like, yeah, you can't wear this big jacket that covers your entire body. <laughs> and the and the incels ruined the hat as well. Like. <laughs> I legitimately think that like a fedora is a good look, but it's got such a bad connotation now that like it's it can't be done without being compared to all the shitty incel people. Yeah, because like now the best thing you have to like fedora is like Indiana Jones. Like that's yeah. like the top you can you can get. Here's the problem: you had 
Suits were pretty much, they weren't mandatory, but at a time, everybody wore suits. They wore a nice either fedora, a bowler, some kind of nice hat, and then often a trench coat. And it looked cool, and we all wanted to be Dick Tracy. But then at some point, some fucking neckbeard started wearing it, and he went around objectifying women and just being a shithead, and then it ruined it for everybody. I don't know when it happened, because even if we look into the 90s, when the Matrix came out, was that 98, 99? Mm. Trench coats were still cool. Leather trench yeah. coats. The, the, the duster. Yeah. It was yeah. still cool. But then you had a certain subsect <laughs> of society <laughs> that saw that and was like, I could totally pull that off. And I was like, hey, you're 450 pounds. You don't leave your mom's basement. You shouldn't be. You can't even close the coat. You have a very. I still got my leather leather trench coat from that day, uh, from those days. Um, I was never quite 450 pounds, but like I, at the start of 2022, I was 350. That's pushing it. That's pretty. It's pretty heavy. And I, I'm like 230 now. Well, damn! Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, that was I, would probably pull that, I would probably pull that trench coat off now. Probably not going to because there's going to be uh, one one person's going to yell something out of a car window at me, and I'll go home and cry. That's throw, throw hot garbage at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that little place in the Mersey where they dump the poets and novelists that perform. Yeah. <laughs> there's a little place just next door where it's people caught wearing a trench coat outdoors. It's a very lively business. It keeps a lot of people in employment. You know what makes me very sad? Because I deliver up at our local courthouse, and when I go up there, there's always these old guys. Like I don't know, judges, lawyers, whatever. But they always look so fly in their suits and trench coats and their fucking hats because they still dress like it's 1930. But they pull it off, but they're old, so you can't say anything. But if I wore that, it, it wouldn't look cool, probably. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's I would be... Guy to read like hey dick tracy out the car window and that's it you're fucking done like you're never coming back from that son of a bitch i didn't even have the hat on fuck it's not (laughs) yellow (laughs) hey morpheus suck a dick and they Ah. throw a brick at you (laughs) oh man i don't want to be morpheus um morpheus was badass he's like one of the best ones yeah and he had the glasses that had no no sides (laughs) how did they stay on his head He fought in those glasses as well, and they stayed on his face. It, it was great. seemed impractical. Just a lot of, like, squinting, like... You want to talk about a cool story that fell off hard. That first Matrix movie was off. It was awesome, but the following ones are just... No. The second one was okay. The third one was just like, what, are we fighting real robots now? Yeah. What are we doing here? I think they're supposed to be yeah, making a they, new one, aren't they? Well, they did They did a fourth one. Oh, did it come out? Yeah. They shit the bed? People liked the fourth one. I, I've not seen it myself. I heard, um, it was, I heard it was very, like, him, Neo, was like Jesus Christ, like, very... He was Jesus Christ in the third one. Yeah. yeah. He literally had his arms out, and I True. think... Yeah. But now he left and came back, though. So he... Yeah, even more. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Though Keanu Reeves yeah. could be Jesus. I don't mind that. Yeah. He seems he pretty close. Like- there are pictures of people who look like Keanu Reeves from like the 1500s, look look like the exact spitting image of him, and and like going forward, like there's like always been someone who kind of looks a bit like Keanu Reeves yeah. in history. So maybe it's the same person, and he's just that that cool. But he just lives forever. I would go more towards vampire, but yeah, I could see it. Speaking of vampires, Jared Leto doesn't age, and I don't know if it's because he's such a douche. Or it's because he has a cult and he drinks the blood of his followers, but he does not get old, and he's like fifty something. It's just disturbing because at least Keanu Reeves is starting to look older now. Yeah, but yeah, Jared Leto, and um, then again, you got the opposite. You got the yin and the yang. Paul Rudd also does not age, but he mm. is like nice. So. Yeah, 
I don't know. But then it's it's like Hollywood living in. They can have they can afford to like have nutritionists and special like they afford to have nutritionists, personal trainers, special chefs, and like just like the best medicine, the best like care, and comparatively less stress than literally anyone else in the world. So they. It's understandable it aged more gracefully. But Paul Rudd is terrifying because if you look at a picture of him from twenty years ago and, yeah. and now they're the same picture. You can't tell same fucking guy. He has one wrinkle on his eye. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? You're drinking baby blood. You can't tell me otherwise. You're drinking the plasma from an infant. Hopefully it still gets to live, but I don't know what Probably the rules not. are. It depends what you know, cloak and dagger society you're involved in, I guess. Cracking um, that adrenochrome with the boys. Yeah, that adrenochrome. I had I met a dude that actually thought that was real. Like people were just <laughs> fucking killing babies and stealing their blood and adrenal glands and all this. I was like, do you know that sounds ridiculous, right? He's like, no, there's a cabal. Okay, buddy. He was. Uh, I think he liked Alex Jones a lot. Oh yeah. So that tells yeah, you anything, right. yeah. Ask him his opinions on what frogs, frog sexuality, and he's gonna probably have some rant about that. Listen, if we can't have gay frogs, I don't want to <laughs> live in this world. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Turn the friggin' frogs gay. Serious crap. Gay. Frogs, friggin' frogs. It's not funny. I'm going to say it real slow for you. Gay. Frogs. Yeah. That, isn't the point of science is to turn the frogs gay? Yeah. That's what it. Are, <laughs> yeah. Let a thousand blossoms bloom. <laughs> I saw somebody also take that very seriously. Like, they are turning the frogs gay. They're changing changing genders because of the chemicals. I was like, well, shouldn't we not dump the chemicals in the ocean anymore? Because Philadelphia just dumped a shitload of plastic chemicals into the ocean, and now 1.2 million people can't drink water. It's like, you fucks. And also, we had a Chernobyl of disaster, size disaster happen, what, an hour away from us? And then, in like, Ohio? And then, like, a little mini one, like, a couple weeks after that? It's not good to be, like, why are we in the epicenter of awfulness? I feel like it's closing in, but I might, I might move. There's so much plastic in the water that the frogs aren't turning gay. They're turning into members of the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, they got weird jaws. <laughs> oh... You know what, Spencer? I want you to write a book report on the royal family. Why? You got to read some biograph, some biographies here. Are there any members of the royal family that don't suck? Henry or Harry? Um, Harry's kind of. I think. Yeah, normal. Harry's okay. He's like uh, normal. I say he's okay. He's got like some he, fucking history. Like if you look into the stuff, some of the stuff he's done before. He's not Diddler, he's is he? A very stupid person, but like comparatively, <laughs> he's like the best one. And that's like that's a low bar. That bar is somewhere in the core of the earth. It just about slithered under it. Yeah, I mean he's on Oprah a lot. I don't. <laughs> when did Oprah become so shitty? I, she... Well, I watch old clips. She was always shitty, but I didn't really because for a long time Oprah was celebrated as like this top. This is what you should aspire mm. to be. And then I watched like some of her old videos where she's like outing celebrities and just being a bitch. And I'm like, what the? Oh, fuck? the Nathan Lane interview. Or yeah. Something. Nathan yeah. Lane and uh, Robin Williams had to save the day. I'm like, what, do, what mm. you fucking bitch? Like, why are you doing that? No good. No good. I'm out of my giant beer. Oh, no. I had a proper uh, black and tan. I had the Imperial Cider, Spencer, and a Ooh. Murphy Stout. Yeah. Yeah. Cider and beer in the same. You never had a proper black and tan? I thought that was popular out your way. <laughs> Maybe that's an Irish thing. Uh, what, you, um, what you do I is remember people when I worked in when I was a bartender for a bit uh, people 
did order a black and tan and a lot of the people who were Irish in the pub, like we got a lot of like locals who were Irish just fucking glared at them. Like yeah. you fucking order that. We're going to kick the shit out of you later on. I would imagine um, they don't call it a black and tan probably. Yeah. <laughs> they probably just like an Irish just car like bomb. Was... They probably have a better name for it. They just call oh, it a car we... bomb. Yeah. I don't know. That's still I bad. I think we did have like a, we sold like an, like a, we sold an Irish car bomb to somebody. Uh-huh. Um, not a real one, like a drink. Yeah. Um, we ordered it. Uh, I think that got a laugh from some people, but I don't think that would go over too well in Ireland. No, nor would the black. And tan. Like- I don't know what they call black and tan. I mean, that's what we call it over here. I don't think a black and tan, at least in the U.S., is normally made with cider. I went with an imperial cider, and then you spoon a Murphy stout on top, and it creates the layer, and it's it's really good. But I don't know. I think over here we probably just use like a shitty lager or a pilsner or something as the bottom base. But that's like now you're just mixing two beers. You want the sweetness from the cider to go with like the because the Murphy's is almost like a pretzel flavor. You know, it's like a very dry flavor, like a Guinness. It's not a very strong flavor, and it mixes and it is delicious. You have to pick the right beer and the right cider to go together. I think to get that to get it right. Because if you're mixing Strongbow and Fosters, you're just Ew. drinking piss at that point. Well, Fosters are just pissed to begin with, and uh, <laughs> Strongbow is probably not much better. <laughs> oh, okay. Just pure heart burn in a glass. Well, anyway, we should probably end this because we're going on an hour and a half, and I have to relieve my bladder at some point. Uh, well, I wonder why. <laughs> I might have another one. That is really good. I don't know what you're doing. But I didn't even ask. What beer are you drinking? I see you slugging back bottles. Um... Well, I had a Mad Goose, which is this one. Nice. Uh, it looks large. And a Ghost Ship. Right. Realize that's flopped on the camera. And I'm currently drinking a Plum Porter. Ooh, does it taste like plum? It really does. It's like there are a bunch of like Plum Porters you can get, and like the Titanic one that I normally get, like the best one, like by far, like leaps and bounds above all the others. Are beers in the UK, have you guys finally hit the point where you have such ridiculous names that you wouldn't want to order them in a bar? Because we have beers now where it's all like, like a common normal beer is, uh, I don't even, I can't even fucking remember, the purple monkey dishwasher. Mm. But then we have a lot of like, you know, fucking purple nipple twister and anus <laughs> goo, drip drop and fucking cum bubble dick stain. Like just awful names for beers. So do you guys have that over there? I think we hit that point a long, like a while ago. Oh, so maybe you invented it. It became, it became a point where brewers were trying to invent beers that sounded embarrassing to order. So I think oh, there was the one that, put, the, counterproductive. Yeah. yeah, let's get a beer no one wants to order. Yeah, it's like where you get like embarrassed, but also you do some good like pump art on it, so it looks uh, so it looks interesting. And uh, there's, I think, the one that is still around is a beer called dizzy blonde but you're like can i have a dizzy blonde please like that's not too bad though like i'm i wasn't jo- i was that wasn't hyperbole like there's beers that was very very super homosexual sounding mm-hmm. names like to the point where it's like i if, if i order that at the wrong part i'm gonna get beat up <laughs> uh, we'll get asked out well then that might be all right i don't know um uh anyway uh, do you smoke crack? No, that's not what I was going to ask. Um, 
If you want, you can give us your website and any work that you want to promote real quick before we leave so our fans can find you. Um, well, my website is www.matthollandauthor.com. Uh, there'll be a new story out. Um, I'm not sure when this is going live. Next week. There should be Next a new Tuesday. Story out. So there should be a new story out there, like, around about that time. Check out my uh, book series, Hair of the Dog. Uh, on, it's pretty much exclusively on Amazon, unfortunately. But if you've got a Kindle or a phone or anything you can read Kindle stuff on, it's it's good for the book, the first book. People rave over it. The second one and the third one, no one's read them. So you <laughs> may be the first, people. And, um, yeah, follow me on the Dying Bird site at uh, Galitha Matt, uh, G-A-L-L-A-E-T-H-A underscore M-A-T-T. I say that at the end of every every stream I do, so I've kind of got that, <laughs> that down. All the links are on my website if uh, you want to check that out. All right, folks, you heard the man. He loves the king, yeah. and he is a <laughs> uh, big fan of the royals. Yeah, big, big fan. fan. Uh, if you want to check out us, you can go to at DPW Podcast, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and YouTube, Spencer. YouTube. You know, I need to actually make videos because whenever I do, they get views, but I don't ever follow up on my, I'm going to make a bunch of videos because I hate editing mm. the videos. So that's probably not going to be a thing we do. But you can find, uh, listen to the podcast on YouTube if you already aren't. Uh, we also are bringing back a Mirakami Minute. This time we are reading Hear the Wind Sing and Pinball 1973. Two novels, but they're very short. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Those will be dropping on Fridays. You can follow me at CalebJamesK.com where I will be updating my publication history because I have a story... Uh, what is that coming out on, Spencer? Literary stories. Um, literally stories, I believe. I always want to say literary. Literally stories, uh, I think April 5th. So uh, next week? Is that next week? Yes. Seems like an odd date yeah. to have that on. Yeah, tomorrow, Saturday is the first. So yeah. yeah, next week, check that out. I'll put it on the website. Uh, read that story. Matt, you read that story because it is one I wrote in, no joke, five minutes, and it was good enough to get published. Mm. Clap for Caleb. Wow. Yeah, it's a flash That's fiction a story. It's very short, and it's I think it's quite stupid, but people like it. Uh, and people like you, stupid stuff. It's great. That seems to be my problem. They like stupid stuff, and I usually don't write stupid stuff. So I needed to focus more on that. Uh, and also, if you are really feeling a little bit of Randy, you can follow Spencer's OnlyFans this month. Not this <laughs> month. This week he is Spencer. <laughs> The Bolivian Butt Bandit Church. Are, what are you doing with the butts? Every time we do this, I tell you, you got to subscribe to find out. Or what is it like you're a bandit? What are you stealing exactly? All I will tell you is that I do wear masks. I wear one of those di old, uh, domino masks. To oh, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, so check that out. It's That sounds awful, but okay. Uh, we thank you, Matt, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You'll have to come on again so we can drink more beer because usually I am, uh, when we have a guest on, it's somebody I don't really know. So it's like I'm like, trying to be professional. I'm like, do you like butterscotch? I don't know. It's just stupid shit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we could actually uh, swear and do fun stuff. We might have to, we might have to do a, fir a first for the, for the podcast and go back to the second Hair of the Dog book for a book of the book of the month and Why see not? maybe we see if we may get some of those uh drunken pen number boosts for you <laughs> on some of those books buy the second book I can, you fucked I, I can picture the uh the read the 
the podcast you could do about it would be like five seconds long. <laughs> it's shit. Don't bother. It turned out to be the worst book ever. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> fuck that Matt Holland again. <laughs> fuck does he know about anything? Don't read his work. And also, if he's anywhere in public reading, make sure you throw hot garbage at him and or make sure he ends up in a ditch at the end of the night. Yeah. Trench coat or sans trench coat, it is fine. Uh, anyway, folks, we thank you for listening, and we will check you out next week. I don't know. Oh, we got a guest on next week, too, don't Probably, we? Probably, yeah. Don't remember the fellow's name. He reached out, and I said, sure. And now I'm thinking, like, ah, i got to read your stuff. Uh, but we'll do that. If he listens to this one, I apologize for being a dickhead. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot. Leave me alone. Uh, see, you, see you later, folks. Woo!